Good morning, Emmaus. Uh, If you would, take your Bible and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, we have our student interns who are going to come up uh, right now and guide us through the... uh, the reading of God's Word here in, here in just a minute. Uh, my name is Owen, and I'm the pastor here at Emmaus, and I'm so thankful for what David was saying there, that as we gather and worship this morning, that God would join our hearts together in the name of Christ, and that we would know more of how He wants to work in our lives, not only personally, but how He wants to work in our lives as a church family, what it means to come together and to live as brothers and sisters in Christ, to have, to have that connection. I want you to know that when we get to the end of the sermon, you can have a couple of different ways to respond to God's work in your life. In the seat back in front of you, uh, there's that guest and prayer card. If God's at work in your heart and you need someone to pray for you, you have questions about faith, you want to know more about getting connected with the church, your response to God's work in your life this morning might just be filling out that card and putting it in the offering plate. We're also going to sing a powerful song together. Your worship to the Lord at the end of studying God's Word might just be that you stand and you give your heart fully to God in worship. There's also some people down here at the front that would be glad to pray with you about what's going on in your life. So I just want you to know as we go through this time, we don't come and then just leave. We come and we say, God, how are you at work in my life and what does it look like to respond to that? Uh, These folks up here with me right now, these are our student interns for the summer. They've guided Jaron through uh, Vacation Bible School and Falls Creek and Super Summer, and now they get to begin the fun work in July and early August of investing in students and preparing those students to continue to follow Christ throughout the year. And so I've asked them to come up, and we're going to read through Colossians chapter 1 verses 1 through 27. So whoever's going first, uh, if you guys could start us with that. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae who are faithful brothers, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. For you have already heard about this hope in the message of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and recognized God's grace and the truth. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow slave. He is a faithful servant of the Messiah on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, because by him everything was created in him and on earth, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or authorities or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. 
He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant according to God's administration that was given to me for you to make God's message fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let me pray over these guys and gals, and let's pray as we begin to study God's word. Father, I thank you for a church that values your word, God, that values the public reading of scripture. God, I thank you for these student interns, that the work that they're doing this summer, that the investment they're making in students is based on your word. It's not just relational, it's not just helping with projects, it's based on the hope that we have that Christ is in us, the hope of glory, that it's based on the truth that we find in your word. Father, thank you for what it means to gather on a holiday weekend like this, God. We thank you for the freedom that we enjoy as Americans. We thank you for those who are on the front lines making that happen. And God, we gather together now in the name of Jesus Christ and on the power and authority of your word. And Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what that means in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for that. If you got a copy of the bulletin as you came in, if you're one of our guests and not familiar with this, on the back of your bulletin are some sermon notes that might be of interest to you or give you a guide. Give you a guide as we go through our study of Scripture. Here's what we've been doing as a church family. We have started a study in the book of Colossians that's going to take us into the early fall, take us through the summer, lead us up through Labor Day, and we'll start some new things when we get into the fall. But we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians. We've been unpacking Colossians chapter 1 as the foundation of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a part of a church, and that's happened over the series of five weeks. And I've got an overview up here on the screen for you, or you also have this information in front of you on your notes, you can see there in the bulletin. But we began in week one by taking the core of Colossians 1, especially that hymn in verses 15 through 20, and talking about how Jesus is superior and sufficient. He is over all things, and he has completely made possible your hope and salvation. In other words, you can't go above him and you can't go beyond him. In Jesus, you find everything you need for life and salvation. So that was week one. Second, if that is true, if we worship, if we look up to Jesus as superior and sufficient, then that changes us, changes us on the inside. Christianity, being a follower of Jesus, is not about outward conformity to a bunch of rules and regulations. That is not the hope we have. The hope we have is Christ in us. 
And so the work that he does starts on the inside and works its way out. In the same way, as a church, we form inward relationships. Jesus transforms his church from the inside out. We can't force ourselves to look like a church if Jesus is not doing that work in us. So we look up to him, he works in us, then the next week we talked about how that goes out. Whatever God does in us should come out. It should cross boundaries, it should impact other people, it should go to the ends of the earth. So the gospel grows, it goes out. Not only that, but the gospel doesn't stop, it endures. The work that God does is not temporary, it's not over one season of life or one day or one moment, it endures throughout all eternity, it keeps going. And then we're gonna wrap up this week by showing how the gospel unites. That the work that God does in all of those different areas is designed to bring us together, designed to hold us together. When God does that work in our lives and as a church, the result of that is not isolation. The result of that is not that you continue on your own. When God does a work, he always does that work to shape a people. He draws us together. Even those of us like myself who uh, are most comfortable when we're by ourselves, to put it lightly, uh, that, that feel more comfortable in those type of, of situations. Even us desperately need to know that when God does that work among his people, it's to shape us together, it's to draw us together as his people. Here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to walk through Colossians 1, and I want to show you those points of unity. So we want God's word to speak for itself. We're going to look at those points of unity in Colossians 1. Then we're going to talk about how does that happen, and then we're going to kind of really nail down what does that look like in my life, in my relationships. So back up in Colossians 1 to the beginning, and let's trace out unity. We're trying to see points of unity in Colossians 1 as Paul lays out this foundation. The first couple are not going to be on the screen. Uh, you need to look in front of you or, or follow along, and then we're going to have some verses pop up on the screen. Okay, back to, back to verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother. The first sign of unity in Colossians is very simply that when Paul is doing this work, he's not doing it alone. When he's writing this letter, he's not doing it alone. Already we see how God is bringing his people together. Paul's not a lone ranger missionary. He's always investing, he's always gathering, he's always bringing people along with the work that's happening. Verse two, to the saints, in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters. So now he's reached out a little bit further. He's gathered in those people at Colossae, and he's saying, you are united with all those people who are brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not your own separate church, separated from everybody else. Yes, you are a church there, but God has done this work to unite you. Verse three, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We know that our hearts are unified when we're praying for one another, when we're developing those relationships. You get on to verse four. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. The Colossians have already realized that their being followers of Jesus doesn't cut, doesn't cut them off from other believers. It's all the saints. We're all in this together. You go down to verse six. This gospel that's come to you is bearing fruit and growing where? All over the world, just as it has among you. They are unified not only with the saints around them, but literally with followers all around the globe. 
Those of you who have good friends that are in different parts of the world, either as missionaries or working in different areas, we are unified with them in Christ. As we come together this morning and we think about what it is to be Independence Day weekend in, in America, we're reminded of that idea that patriotism is a great gift. I wore my red, white, and blue. We are glad to be here this morning. We gather, but our primary gathering this morning is in the name of Jesus. And the name of Jesus unites us across all nations and all languages and all peoples. And so patriotism is not a bad thing. It's a gift from God. But then to cut ourselves off, to pursue something like nationalism or to pursue some sort of separation, because in Christ, I have a closer relationship with a brother and sister in Christ that lives in another country or has another ethnicity than I do with someone who's not a follower of Jesus but lives in America. Because the unity we have is found in the name of Jesus. And so you see Paul beginning to develop that. That's not meant in any way to downplay what it is to live here. This is a great gift, and we are living that out this morning by gathering for worship. But I want you to see that the source of unity in Colossians is the name of Jesus. That's where we find that connection. Uh, Let's skip down to verse 12. This is where the verses start to jump on the screen, and and we're going to really peg three different places in Colossians where you see unity. Let's start in verse 12. It says that we give thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. That word enabled up there, enabled you, is a word that you find showing up a couple of times in First and Second Corinthians. It's the word for qualified. In other, word, other words, our coming to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ, our coming to be a part of this unity was made possible by God. We didn't sign ourselves up for this. This is a work that God did. He's the one who enables that. He's the one who makes us qualified. We are not qualified We are not competent in and of ourselves to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. This is good news because this means that our gathering here today is not based upon how competent we are or how qualified we are. We can't say, man, we would have more unity as a church if we had more competent people. Don't say that to your neighbor. That's that's not true. We are made competent. We are qualified for unity because of God's work in our lives. No super teams here. Uh, No, we're going to go around and get the best people to come and be a part of our team because then we'll be better. Now, after we got Paul George this last week, and I'm not so opposed to super teams anymore. I'm starting to to open up to the idea of, of super teams. But in the church, super teams don't work. We are made competent, we are made qualified because of God's work in our life that he has rescued us from darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. And it says in verse 12 that that means we are made to share in the saints' inheritance. That word inheritance that shows up there goes back to the Old Testament idea that the land was given to Abraham and to the descendants of Abraham. And in the book of Numbers and the book of Joshua that we're going to study in the fall, that idea of inheritance is tied to the land that was going to be given to the people and is always seen as a Jewish thing. But as the work of God continued, 
we find out that the inheritance was not just tied to a particular land, and the inheritance was not just tied to a particular group of people. But in Christ, we were all gathered into these promises that God had made to his people. And so we share in that unity. This is the idea as parents when you're trying to force your kids to share and you try all of the arguments and you try all of the ideas and finally it comes down to we're going to share because we live under the same roof and because we're part of the same family and frankly we have no choice. We just have to share. This is the idea that God has brought all of his people under the same roof. He's brought all of his people into the same family and so we are in this together really whether we like it or not. And he's gonna shape us into the way that we really like it. How's that happen? Verse 17, skip down just a little bit. Verse 17, we find this hymn where it says that Christ is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. How in the world would it ever work that a group of people from different nationalities, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different circumstances, how would it ever work that those people would come together as a part of the same family? Well, it would happen because the one who created all things is the same one who created and holds together the church. Because, and this is what happens in Colossians 1, 15 to 20, that hymn that shows up there, the first half of it is how Christ is Lord over all creation. The second half of it is how he's Lord over the church. And so what it's saying to us is because he's able to hold together the entire universe, he has the authority and power to hold together the church, to bring us together. Sometimes, uh, as a pastor, and this reflects struggles I have just, just personally, but I'll begin to think, oh man, you know if X happened, and then this person responded in that way, and then they told this person, and then this happened, oh my word, this whole thing could fall apart under my watch. Uh, and it starts to create panic attacks because you start to put together things that don't logically go together, and before you know it, the entire thing is crumbled in your mind, and you're going into something resembling a panic attack, and then you come back and say, wait a second, I don't hold this together to begin with. This is not my work. This is not dependent on my power. This is not dependent on who I am. The work that it takes to hold together the people of God is the same work that it takes to hold together the universe. Well, I sure can't do that, so there's no way I'm gonna be able to hold together the church. We do this in our own lives. You start to put together things and you think, okay, if this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, oh man, my whole life is going to fall apart. Well, sure, if we think that way, it will happen that way. But then we come back around and we say, but wait, who holds this together? And then you start singing to yourself that old song about he's got the whole world in his hands. And you're reminded that the one who has the whole world in his hands is the one who holds the church together, is the one who holds your life together. And so sometimes in life we say, oh my word, my life is falling apart. I've said that. I understand that phrase, my life is falling apart. Theologically, though, that's never possible when you're in Christ because he is the one who holds the universe together, he's the one who holds the church together, and he's the one who holds your life together. 
Let's look at one other passage in Colossians 1 that talks about unity. So we are made to share in the inheritance of the saints. We depend on the one who holds the universe together. And then third, you go down to verse 25. Jumping down to verse 25, Paul talks about how he has become a servant according to God's administration that was given to me for you to make God's message fully known. This message that Paul makes known, it says, is the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The word mystery might strike you, strike you as a little bit strange there. We think of mystery in the sense of illusion or magic or something that's hidden away. Mystery, when you look at it in Scripture, are things that God is waiting to unveil until the time is right. And so there is a plan of God, a purpose of God, that was not fully made known until Christ came and lived and died and rose again. And the mystery was that God's answers to all the world's problems wouldn't just involve one group of people. It was going to involve all people. And not only would it not just involve one group of people, but it wouldn't be a religion that we would seek out. It would be a God who would seek us. And our hope would be Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not you chasing Christ, but Christ chasing you. And it would draw all people together. And the reason this matters is your unity and your place in Christ and your place in the church, it's not dependent on your past actions and it's not dependent on your present circumstances. People will tell me, and I say all the time, is a little bit of an overstatement, but it's not very much of an overstatement. People will tell me all the time, Owen, I would love to be a part of a church, but I just have to get my life together first. Or I would love to be a part of the church, I would love to be engaged, but you don't know what I'm going through right now. Or I would love to be a part of the church, and then they give the proverbial, but lightning would strike, or the building would fall down, or something like that. You don't want me to be a part of that. What we want to say as clearly and lovingly as we possibly can is that none of us has it together. <laughs> and every one of us has a past with actions and decisions that are evil and ugly and opposed to God. Every one of us has present circumstances that are totally messed up. And none of that keeps you away from the hope of Christ. That we are brought together, that we are made a part of his people, not because of what we have sought out, but because he has sought us. And so it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. He unifies his people. He draws us together on the same plane, and that's Christ in you, the hope of glory. How does this happen, though? How does God do this work of unity? What you find is that the idea of unity is very abstract. If you are part of a, a, a business or a team or a group, and you don't have good unity in that, or maybe even in your family, like things are not unified, if you try to seek out unity in and of itself, you're going to be very frustrated. Because unity is very abstract. It's very hard to get your hands on it. It's a little bit like saying, I really need to lose weight. And so you think over and over about, well, I really need to lose weight. Unless you take steps in a particular direction, that goal is going to be so far beyond your reach. Unity is like that. If you seek it out in and of itself, you're going to be really frustrated. How do you find unity? Well, here's the cool thing, at least cool to me. 
Doesn't have to be cool to you, it's cool to me. The cool thing is that the, what we've looked at the last four weeks, worship, discipleship, missions, endurance, up, in, out, keep going, that's how you achieve unity. All of those things that form the basis of Christianity, all of those things that form the basis of the church are also the path to unity that God has given. Let me, let me explain what this means. How do we find unity as a church? Well, one of the ways is we worship together. When we gather together and we all look up toward God together, we realize that he is the only one above all of us, that we are all in the same plane, and so because we're worshiping him and nothing down here, because our eyes are set up, it draws us together. This is that old illustration that sometimes you use in premarital counseling, where you tell two people, hey, you're right here, and the closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. Well, guess what? It works the same way in church. The more you worship, the more you're drawn to him and away from the things here that distract us, the more we worship him, the more that we find that unity happening. Secondly, as he transforms us, as he does this discipleship in our lives, he draws us together. When you are with someone as they are growing spiritually, and you're a part of that process in their life, your life is gonna be united with theirs. When you study scripture with someone, when you pray with someone, when you walk with someone through their spiritual development, you don't have to seek unity because it happens automatically. You're gonna have unity with the people who are involved in your spiritual growth. Mission, going out. The way that you're unified with people is by doing things with them. You develop a bond with people when you serve with them that you could never develop just sitting with somebody. But when you go on mission, when you do work together, when you serve together, your lives become connected. I saw a cool example of this this last week. Um, let me see if I can find my, my page here. A friend of ours who is a, a missionary in Calgary, Canada, she wrote a blog article about how God had been working in her life there. I want to read a little bit to you. Elaine says, a couple of months ago, I had the privilege of leading a young mother to Christ. She's working uh, with women there in Calgary, forming relationships and trying to connect them to churches. So she led this young mother to Christ. As I think about her journey to date, I can't help but think of all the believers who have demonstrated the gospel to her, whether it was sharing truth, offering comfort, or simply just being a friend. Now listen to this. I think back over the last 10 months, the mission team from America that led a soccer camp last summer for her children to attend. The grandparents from the states that maintained a relationship with her via social media and phone calls. The pastor that provided marital counseling. The pastor's wife who invited this mother and her children to play dates. The new Christian who opened her home for a ladies Bible study on the book of Ruth where this lady heard the story of redemption and many more stories I will never know. Now listen to what Elaine says here. The rope of redemption begins and ends with Christ. However, we have the wonderful gift of joining him in the opportunities he provides. When someone comes to faith in Christ, that process of going out and engaging with them, it ties together everybody that God used in the process of that person coming to faith in Christ. The role that you play for a grandchild, 
the role that you play for a neighbor, the role that you play at your school, you have no idea how many other people God has brought into the process of speaking hope and love and good news into that person's life. And so we are unified when we are living out. There's almost always, and I'm not saying this about Emmaus, and I thank God that the opposite is true of our church right now, but it is almost always true that a stagnant, inwardly focused church will be disunified, will have brokenness, will not be together because the more we're stagnant, the more we're turned in, the more we lose that unity. And the opposite is true. The more we're outwardly focused, the more we're going out, the more that unity is shaped. One more thing, endurance. Endurance, this idea that unity is formed as you go through things together. When you go through temptations, and when you go through struggles in life, and you endure with someone through that process, unity is built. And you guys could stand up and share story after story after story about this. But you just can't even begin to express the relational bonds that are formed when you go through hard things together. You'll never form unity if you don't endure through hard times with other people. But when you do that, the unity that is formed through that is something that only God can do, only God can shape. This happens early in marriages uh, when you find yourself in situations that you can't call mom and dad, that you can't get outside help. You say, we have to endure through this together. What happens is the unity that is formed in that process of enduring is in and of itself the work of God. When a church endures through hard times, the unity that is formed there is something that only God can do. How does God shape unity in a church? Worship, discipleship, missions, endurance. Up, in, out, keep going. The result of that equation is unity. All right, finally, let's look at this. Who's involved in unity? Can we take a time out? Is it raining? Maybe. Maybe I just hope it's raining. Man, I would give anything for it to be raining right now. So, so I just thought I heard raining. Or it's all those birds that like to fly through the sanctuary at Emmaus. It's one of the two. So who knows? Okay, let's think, let's wrap up by thinking who's involved in this process of unity? Number one, churches. God does his work of unity through the church. He draws people together. And I want to parallel both of these. There's the local church, us gathered together as Emmaus, and then there's the church universal, all Christians in all places at all times. We have unity as brothers and sisters in Christ with people in all places. But sometimes people will say, I don't want to be a part of a local church, I just want to love all Christians. Can I tell you that God's path for you to be able to love all Christians is to be a part of a local church? If I told my kids, if I told my kids, I want you to be a kind of person that loves all people. I want you to be the kind of person that is able to form relationships and you are able to love all people. Therefore, don't need family. Just go, we're just brothers and sisters with everybody. All those adults out there, your parents, just go and do your thing. Well, that's like the old like commune-style parenting or anti-family, hippie form of parenting. Let's just all come together and be a family. There is something good and right that says we are connected to all people. 
The way you learn to love all people, though, is through that gift of your family. And so family is God's gift to get us out of self-love and teach us selflessness. In the same way, the way you learn to love all Christians is you learn to love the people in your local church. Your being a part of Emmaus is not designed to cut you off from other Christians in other places. My hope is that we will be unified. We will be connected with them. But I get concerned sometimes when people say, I just do kingdom work. I'm not interested in promoting any one church. I'm just out there doing kingdom work. Well, God's kingdom work happens through the church. That is his pathway. That is his plan. We want to be involved in kingdom church. I am not here to promote Emmaus and to make us great as an institution. I am saying find yourself in a local church and plant yourself there because that is God's pathway for you to be able to do kingdom work that goes way beyond the walls of of this building. Secondly, generations. The gospel unites generations in a world where generations become more and more segregated, more and more separated. The gospel brings us together because it reminds us that every new generation doesn't get to recreate the good news. The same good news that brought salvation to your parents and grandparents and generations past is the same good news we have to offer. We cannot improve on that. We can continue to understand what it looks like to live that out in new situations, but we are united with believers through history because of the gospel. And so what do we wanna do? We wanna worship with multiple generations, We wanna do discipleship with multiple generations. We wanna do missions with multiple generations and we want to endure. We wanna keep going with multiple generations because that's God's gift to unite that together. Ethnicities, peoples, nations, languages. We've already alluded to this earlier talking about patriotism and nationalism and some of the dangers inherent there. But just remembering that the gospel is able to unite people across lines that the rest of the world divides. If you see, let me give you this as, I don't wanna say homework, because that cheapens it, but let, let me give you this as an idea. When you go into the world, every place you see other people drawing dividing lines, know that the gospel overcomes that. Every place that you see someone in your workplace or your school or your family drawing lines and saying this group can't be with this group, the gospel overcomes all of those things. Overcomes language and ethnicity and nationality and brings us together in Christ. I've been reminded of of this with uh, a week or so ago when the Southern Baptist Convention got together and there was some dispute that broke out online regarding the alt-right groups and white supremacy groups and should there be a resolution about that or not. And there was a lot of different things that happened online. You might have run into some of that. But at the core, it came down to the fact that any group that seeks to divide us is a group that is anti-gospel. And we are brought together under the hope of Christ. And then finally, let's wrap up with this. The most difficult division that I know to overcome, that only the gospel can overcome, is the division between prodigals and Pharisees. What I mean by that, prodigals are those who have run away from home, you've lived a rebellious life, you went as far from the Lord as you possibly could, you lived in the deepest, darkest sin possible, 
and God rescued you out of that and you've come to find yourself in Christ. Pharisees are those who battle against the fact that everybody else should obey their religious rules and everybody should live according to their religious structure and everybody should get along just fine because if you just did it my way, everything would be okay and they need everything clean. Prodigal ministry is messy. Pharisee ministry wants to be clean so nobody messes it up. Guess what? Prodigals and Pharisees both need Christ. You could come from the most structured religious background imaginable and you need Christ. And you could have lived in the deepest, darkest sin. You could be in the middle of that right now and you need Christ. But do you know what's really hard? is to shape a church full of prodigals and Pharisees. And, and I say this carefully, so I'm gonna say something and I'm gonna back away from it really fast. Emmaus, Emmaus, across the board, in a general sort of way, is primarily a Pharisee church. And I say that as the leading Pharisee among us, okay? So I'm gonna take the lead, I'm gonna say as the leading Pharisee among us, we're a church that in many ways things are very structured, they're very clean, they fit, they work, it makes sense. What does it look like when a guy does work of drawing in prodigals, of bringing in people who come from really hard places, who come from messy situations? You can take generational diversity, you can take ethnic diversity, in some ways those are easy to overcome. You try to put Pharisees and prodigals together and that's a miracle that only God can pull off. And my prayer is that we see that happen at Emmaus. Because what you realize very quickly is our only hope is Colossians 1.27. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Whether you come from a Pharisee background or a prodigal background, your only hope is Christ. Here in just a second, we're going to sing a song about the work that God does in our life. I don't know where you are, what you're facing, what's going on right now. There's that card in front of you. You might need to spend the next three or four minutes filling out that card. That could be your act of worship. You put that in the offering plate, and God will use that to lead you into whatever he has next for you. Your response at this point might just be and say, I'm going to stand up as a Pharisee, and I'm going to sing next to a prodigal. Or I'm going to stand up as a prodigal, and I'm going to sing next to a Pharisee, and I'm going to give my life wholly to the Lord. If we can pray for you, there's going to be some folks up here at the front that want to pray for you as well. Let me pray over us right now, and then we're going to stand and sing as we get ready to wrap up. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we've seen in Colossians chapter 1. You've designed us to look up toward you. You've designed us so that we're changed from the inside out. And then you keep us going by drawing us together. Christianity is not an individual sport. It's not something we do in private. You draw us together with your people. God, I thank you for the way that you do that here at Emmaus. God, I thank you for the way you do that in churches around this area and around the world. Father, that you would continue to do that work and we would remember that the one thing that unifies us is not our past, it's not our present, it's the hope that we have in Christ for the future. God, draw us together. Help us to worship you now through this song. Help us to respond in however you're working in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.